Greetings, our Revolution Live friends, wherever you are in the world. It could be early in the morning, it could be nicely in the afternoon, or it could be, well, late at night. So wherever you are, you're welcome to our live event. So you will get chance, if you want to, to ask a question, perhaps even in person, we can bring you on stage. That's how we like to roll uh, on Revolution Live. Um, if you're familiar with it, you've been to a few of these, you know all that. But if you're, if you're new, that's how we're going to work in about half an hour um, or so, because we've got one hour. I will be uh, inviting people or asking you questions and you can come on stage and all of that stuff. Um, but for the moment, uh, here we are, our second event of the year. Um, and this is called uh, CPOs Unite, Charge Point Operators Unite. Um, simplifying the grid connection and permitting process because I can tell you having looked at it a bit myself a lot more for this event uh, and what I knew before it ain't simple um, and it's a process that could do with a lot more um, uh, streamlining and improving and that's what we're going to talk about today so welcome Lucy and welcome Peter how are you both Lucy how are you very good very well hi Roger very happy to be with you today Good. So, so Lucy, Lucy Matera is Secretary General uh, General of Charge Up Europe. Does that mean you're in Brussels, Lucy? Yeah, absolutely. We're a trade association. We are based in Brussels and we are the voice of the EV charging infrastructure industry to EU institutions. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, my, my, I nearly said old friend. I don't want us to both sound old in saying that, Peter, but, you know, we first met well over a decade ago. So I'm familiar with your journey. So Peter Baddick, co-founder and managing partner of uh, Greenway um, and lots of things before all that. Maybe we'll talk a bit about that as we go along. Where are you talking to us from today, Peter? Hi, Roger. Hi. Very nice to meet you in this occasion. Uh, well, I'm based in uh, Poland, in uh, by the Baltic Sea, in the city of Gdansk, uh, where we have an office. Lovely. Wonderful. Okay, well, look, the way we like to start these things um, is we run a poll. We ask the audience, we ask people a question. And the question we asked was, uh, ChargePoint operators, what do you think is the biggest barrier to scaling up EV charging infrastructure in Europe? Um, and here are the answers. So... Only a few people said lack of public funding. So I'm sure politicians and other people would be, <laughs> would be pleased to hear that. Um, and then 15%, 15 of people said lengthy connection process. 32% said complex permitting process, a third of people. But the majority said it was about insufficient grid capacity. Now, I know we're going to be talking about the whole of Europe. We are going to talk about the EU when we talk about Europe, by the way. And, and don't worry, I won't get upset about that being that I'm from the UK. That's fine. Um, but, but we're talking about, uh, the EU and there's so much, there's so much variation across all the countries in terms of a, a lot of what we're going to get into. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's, we, we, I'm just going to have a look at who we've got on um, in our, well, we've got lots of people in the group from here and there. See if we've got any messages coming in. By the way, just, just to let everybody know, um, please put your questions uh, uh, just on the side here. You can, you can see how that works. Uh, we won't necessarily get to every single question if we get a lot, but we do strive to, to answer most questions. So, you know, Tuck in, get comfortable, sit down, get ready for it, and and we'll we'll get going. Um, so let's sort of get into the basics then. Um, L Lucy, can you just give us in a nutshell, really, what what Charge Up Europe does? 
you know, in, in very simple terms. Yes, of course. So as I said, we are the voice of the EV charging sector in Brunson's trade association. What we do on a daily basis is that we work toward uh, the swift rollout of EV charging infrastructure across the EU, all of the EU, right? Not just some part of the EU. We also support a seamless charging experience for uh, the EV driver on a daily basis. What we do is that we advocate for policies that support investment, that remove market barriers for our members, and also to facilitate the smooth uptake of EV infrastructure. We also act as a center of expertise. We aim to educate, to inform policymakers, also the general public, external stakeholders about our sector, which is still young, still not very well known. Um, so there's a lot of education that goes around that. Mm, ex excellent. And I'd, I'd recommend anybody to look at the website as well. So, Peter, can you tell us, um, Lucy's given us that flavour then of uh, what Charge Up Europe are doing. Can you tell us what Greenway is in, in a brief fashion, please? Greenway is a company established myself and one of my friends back in 2011. So I think we are the same sort of EV dinosaur, Roger, here in the room. Uh, many, many years doing electromobility. Uh, now it's, uh, we are fully uh, dedicated to EV charging. We grow from a small company of four people. Now it's about 160 professionals working on the development of EV charging in Slovakia and Poland, so in Eastern Europe. One of those uh, typical business models, CPO, EMP, on the CPO side, we build our own infrastructure and as well have partners to build infrastructure which we manage. On the MP side, we are allowing the customers to register uh, with us and then use the network again as well, have uh, many roaming connections. So typical business model of these days. And we are the member of Change of European. Right, right. That, that's good. Um, just by the way, for you both to know who we've got listening in, because it's always nice to see that we have people from all over the place. So there's Brent from Canada, Tim from the US, Ivan from Croatia, Florella from Uruguay, Sean from the US, Dean from the UK, Fabian from Belgium, uh, got Sohan from India, Paolo from Germany, uh, Vincent from Switzerland, Joseph from Slovakia. I feel I have to say everybody now because I've started. Uh, Zelko from UK, <laughs> Thomas from Slovakia, Sergio. Oh, there's just so many. I'm sorry I can't get through everybody, but from, look, all over. So you've got a global audience here, which is, I always think, fascinating because uh, everybody's trying to understand how well is my country doing or my region, you know, Europe or Poland or France, wh wh whatever it is. Um, so, Lucy, can I ask you a question about something I saw on your website? I think it's in a very nice analysis that you've got that shows, for example, lots of things. But one of them it shows is there's a wide disparity in the number of charges between member states. In fact, I'm looking at it to read it. Um, so it says, for example, 73 public charging points per 100,000 inhabitants in the whole of the EU. But, oh, my word, the difference is huge you know, between the best country and, well, let's call it the worst country, uh, the, the one that's got good coverage and then ones that haven't. Um, so how would you describe the current state, if you like, of EV charging infrastructure, um, you know, around Europe? And given what we've heard recently from the European Parliament, end of internal combustion engine manufacture 2035, only making EVs. Obviously, it's going to take time for this all to, you know, wash through. But what's the state of play in Europe at the moment? With all this disparity, it looks a little bit of a nightmare, to be honest, Lucy. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. So you're quoting from our um, annual flagship report, the State of the Industry report, and we're working on the 2023 edition. 
Um, one thing maybe as preliminary, you know, remarks, so people tend to focus very much on the number of charges, and that's one possible metric. But one of the metrics that we're also trying to bring back under spotlight is the metric of capacity, right? So not just the numbers of yeah. charger, because that makes sense, but capacity is also quite important considering the range of, you know, power output that you can have. Uh, so if you've seen the numbers, you know that we have a little bit over 330,000 accessible charging points in the EU at the end of 2021. Again, those are 2021 numbers. You know, the picture for 2022 will be quite different because it's a sector that is growing very, very fast. Yes, there is an issue with um, overall coverage of the EU. Those charging points, the public ones, are very much concentrated in uh, some market, Germany, the Netherlands. If you look at the capacity picture, however, this is a slightly more nuanced picture that's going to emerge. So what you're going to see that in some markets, so typically markets in Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, Central Europe, so Slovakia, Poland, uh, Italy, Actually, the penetration of DC charges is much higher, right? And that will, mm -hmm. again, you know, sort of counteract a little bit that picture. Again, if you want to have like a more, you know, dynamic picture, so looking at the evolution over time, when you look at, you know, how many charges have deployed over the past years, you know, the numbers have multiplied by six since 2015. So there's still, you know, five space that is going on here. You know, you've seen our projection. We think that the number of charges is going to be multiplied by 10 between 2021 and the end of the decade. So that's, a, you know, fairly significant growth space that you're seeing here. Residential charging is going to remain the main mode, by the way, the main use case, right? That was also one of the findings yeah. of the state of the industry report. And I think that was valuable for the industry. And again, if you look at the, you know, deployments for the capacity lens, you know, DC charging will account to be for 2% of the charging infrastructure by 2030, but that installed charging capacity is going to represent 12% of uh, the installed capacity by the end of the decade. In terms of, is this happening fast enough, right? Which was your question, Roger. So one way, you know, one way to go faster and right, that should be, you know, the core of the discussion is to have, well, you can think of three things. One is well designed targets. Right to go faster. So, where design target means dynamic capacity-based targets that actually that you gradually phase out over time once you have enough organic market activity for you know charging infrastructure to develop on their own. Another really effective way to build you know a single market. Another very effective way to accelerate just to build a single market for EV charging infrastructure. So, even if you're outside of the EU, you know that historically the EU has been very very good at building a single market, right? Unfortunately, for our sector, yeah. there is no such thing as a single market. Okay, so that's one thing that you can do. You know, if you're a new policymakers is making sure you do build a single market for charging infrastructure because that will remove the technical barrier, that will remove the regulatory barriers, and that will certainly help for the acceleration. And then the last thing that you can do to make this sector accelerate is really to focus, to identify, and then to tackle the bottlenecks and the obstacles to growth uh, that are still, you know, very much hampering the deployment of charging infrastructure and grid uh, connection and permitting processes, which we're going to discuss today very much part of that last yeah. uh yeah, look, you're you're really illustrating um, how tricky this is going to be. Nothing wrong with that. Um, we, we've got to deal with the situation as it is. But can you just, before I come to Peter again, can you just walk us through the process of establishing a, a grid connection um, for an EV charger? I mean, is, 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 are there two or three steps? Do you just basically say, I want to put one here, I connect with, you know, the power grid and... There you are. It's done. It, is it as simple as that? 
it would be fantastic if it were that simple and that's what we should <laughs> aim for. Uh, so in practice, you're going to have different stakeholders that are going to be involved, right? So you're going to have, you have two, you know, the way we call, you know, this works friend is great connection and permitting processes, right? The great connection part yes. is going to evolve DSOs, right? So distribution system operators, right? And they are regulated entities, okay? They're regulated by national energy regulators. That's one set of stakeholders. And then you have a second set of stakeholders who are the public authorities and they're in charge of issuing permits, right? And part of the complexity is that you need to bring those different stakeholders and their processes together. When you, you know, when you try to get a connection, when you try to have your charging station going live, you need to submit documentation, of course. And what that means exactly is going to vary from one jurisdiction to another. So you need documentation on the location, you need documentation on, you know, the plan dimensions, views of the constructions, uh, the electrical installation, details on the excavation work, etc. At some point, there is a price that is going to be defined, not necessarily at the beginning of the process. That price is also going to vary from, you know, one authority to another, depending also on the capacity of the charger. And that's the starting point. And from that... From that point onward, you need to add basically 50 shades of additional complexities and variations in the process itself, right? So which authority is going to be involved? Again, that's going to change from one place to another. Maybe you will need to involve the architectural protection authorities. Maybe you will need to have a legal, you know, binding advice from the transport authority. You have that in Greece. Uh, you will also have different interpretations, you know, coming from different authorities, very much a situation you're going to find in Poland. Which permit you will need, uh, that's also something that's going to vary from one place to another. You might need a permit to use the public space, a permit uh, for your excavation, a construction permit, an operation permit. If you're in the Netherlands, you may need a special permit when you are close to public waterworks. That's another, you know, layer of complexity. Oh, um, and um, on top of that... That's just for the permitting. And on top of that comes the DSO part, so the grid connection itself. And again, here you yeah. have strong variations. Um, and the process, again, will, you know, will be lengthier depending on how much power you need. But that's what you have is yeah. very much a picture where, you know, the cost will vary, the timelines are unpredictable, and so is usually the outcomes. Right. Um, well, you're really laying it out there for me to kind of get this sense of, it certainly isn't simple. It's not three steps. So, so Peter, c can I ask you, and I'm very wary of not using, um, acronyms. So I'm going to say the actual thing. If I, if I can remember what it is, what are some of the biggest challenges that CPOs, charge point operators face when working with, um, distribution system operators, D DSOs? Uh, can you give us some specific ideas, you know, examples of challenges that, that Greenway have faced and, and then overcome? Because the other thing, Lucy, I'm just trying to work out what are we learning and how are we bringing that learning together so we don't keep making the same mistakes and how do we refine the process and all that stuff. So so what have you got as examples, Peter, you can share with us? Yeah, as Lucy said, the process could be very cumbersome. And actually, uh, let me give you two possible examples. So one is that when we are trying to build the challenges on some new locations, so we, we have a team and that's how we do it. I'm sure that almost probably every CPO is doing the same as scouting the location. So we are searching for a long, where is yeah. the good place? Very often we get the feedback from the EV drivers, which said that this is a good place. We want to have the chance there. 
build it then. Yeah, it's, it's very great. Fine. We, we find the locations and we try to now figure it out how to make it happen, how to build a charging hub there. Usually yeah. these days we talk about really, really big charging hubs with a big connection. We talk one megawatt, two megawatt, even 10 megawatts sometimes. So this is just to give you a flavor. It's a hundreds of homes. If I calculate it to the number of homes, it's about hundreds of homes, which you need to connect in one place. And during this process, actually, the typical company like us is not doing it on one place. We are doing it in the same time, many places. In our case, we have about 400 locations like this in the pipeline, which we work in parallel. And it means that our team needs to put things together and move swiftly from one location to another to assess if it's possible and prioritize and change and go to the another one if it's not in some support. And here in this process, what is very much missing is a kind of a transparency. So basically the place where you can go very easily, preferably online, check what is the connection and where exactly you can connect because it makes a big difference. I will give you an example. We worked for uh, six months on one location and we wanted to build a charging hub. But it was late uh, reply from the DSO. So the DSO didn't answer our question where we can connect and can we connect and how big power we can connect. So we were working on, on that locations. But then eventually after six months, they asked, okay, you can connect here. We expect it somewhere else because you can see that if you are on the ground, you can see where are the cables. So you can expect where it's going to happen. But they say for some good reason, they said it cannot be here. It has to be here. It was 100 meters away. Maybe you will say not big deal. Actually, it's quite a lot of money to build 100 meter connection. It's not so easy, especially if it's such a powerful connection. But, but the problem mm. was that between this point and the location was a piece of the land where we were not able to agree with the landowner. And we basically needs to cancel the whole locations and the work, the six months of work oh God. are gone. And, and imagine that you multiply this by 400 locations, which you need to do in mm. Holland. So this is the first element of the issue which we need to solve is that we need to find a way how to work with the DSO in a very effective way because then we are wasting the time and wasting the time means wasting the money and the energy. Then you have, uh, let's say this is a planning part. You know, so you are preparing something, but then you have execution part. And execution part means that, okay, we are happy with the connection point. We want to move forward. We go all through all these other permitting processes which we need to get. Obviously, just mentioned many of them. There are really a number of them which we need to go through. And then we need to wait for the action of the DSO. So sometimes the, the grid needs to be strengthened or the substations needs to be built or, or there needs to be some activity on their side. And they, they are very often, they are not capable to do it in a timely manner. So therefore, we have everything ready. Sometimes we have locations where we already have a charger on the ground and we are waiting for months to build the connection. And this is obviously a big problem because then our rollout can go only as fast as DSO and grid can be extended. And here, mm -hmm. I think, is the core thing which uh, the Charger Bureau take as an important, let's say, topic, message, which we want to push forward, which we want to discuss with the policymakers, with the DSO, with their shareholders, with the regulators, how to basically make the grid enabler of the change and not break of the change for the capability. Yeah, yeah. That, that's crucial, which nicely leads me on, again, to something I saw when I was doing a bit of homework, um, was this open letter, Lucy. Um, so, uh, just to explain what that is to people. Um, it, it's, it's objective is to unite charge point operators and to get rid of some of these bottlenecks and not just keep fighting all the time. Actually find a way of getting standardization, transparency, harmonization, all the obvious things. Um, but, but can you just 
explain to us, uh, not necessarily read the letter out, but what is the open letter? Who did you send it to? Has it already gone? And have you had a response? Yeah, of course. So the open letter was very much the public facing part of an effort, which is about centering the issue of grid connection and permitting processes in the policy debate. You know, it wasn't an issue that was discussed before and we wanted it to be discussed, right? So that was, you know, the thing to sort of push and basically say, you know, Houston, we have a problem here and this needs to be, you know, tackled, right? So it was really about, you know, raising awareness with your policymakers that there is a problem, it needs to be fixed, and this is an issue whose profile we need to, you know, needs to be raised, right? So that was really very much what the talk was about, just casting a light, right, on the topic, because that is the preliminary step for decision makers to, you know, take action on, on this topic, which we think is a very you know, shared across Europe. So that was one objective. And the second objective was basically to align the industry, and you may have seen the letter was signed, you know, way beyond our membership, to align the industry behind a common vision, Okay, of what would an efficient process, you know, best in class process, grade and condition permitting process look like from a CPO perspective. And that's what we were trying to do, you know, with the benchmarks or the criteria, the five benchmark criteria that you've mentioned yeah. was to say, okay, if we design this process ourselves, right, to sort of meet our needs, what would it look like? And we came up with those five criteria. And I think if you're a CPO, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, they will <laughs> make a lot of sense. You know, it's a standardization transparency, predictability, harmonization, and speed, okay? And I can detail those, but that's, that was the idea, right? Okay, what do we want from those processes? How do we improve them? But again, that was, you know, stage one. Stage two was, okay, we have a vision for what we think a good process could look like. And then, you know, that was in December. Yes, it was released. Uh, we've shared it very broadly with the relevant set of stakeholders, so that's EU decision makers, but also national energy regulators, MEPs, um, basically anyone who's a decision maker on this. And stage two, which is where we are today, actually two weeks ago, we released our recommendation. What do we think needs to happen for this to be fixed, right? Which is also just doing our homework. We flagged the issue. We've explained this is very important. It needs to be fixed. And here is how you can do it. Okay, so that's where we are today. Got it. Yeah, Peter, go on. Let, let me add to that one thing is... Uh, at the moment, the typical process for getting the permits or grid connection, let's talk about grid connection. It's focused because there are so many topics. Uh, it could be about two years time. And it means that I told you about this pipeline, how we build the pipeline, how we scout the locations. And we see the problems coming. Now, if you look on the industry itself, the, that we were able to work on the locations and which we just relatively simple grid connection. We did, the, let's say, the low hanging fruits and, and were able yeah. to deliver. But if I look in our Excel sheet and spreadsheet, I can see how the connection time and delivery time of the projects are extending and extending. It was maybe two years ago, it was six months, then it was one year, now it's a two year. So we see that the problem is upon us. It's, it's, just, it's coming to us. And therefore, we decided that we need to bring this topic now and start to voice it and then put many stakeholders on the board because it's not only us who has the issue. Yeah, We want to electrify everything. We want to have uh, electrical heating in a, in a buildings with the heat pumps. We want to have the renewables. We want to electrify large electrification of the industry. So there is mm. a, many topics where the grid needs to deliver. But probably the EV charging is the industrial sector, which needs the largest number of connections with higher power and fast. Yeah, if you look how we develop what we need to deliver, you mentioned 2035 
like the cars will be 100% of the new cars, hopefully, we need to move very, very fast. And that's maybe one of the reasons why probably from our sector, this voice is coming, although definitely it's not only our problem. Yeah, wow. Um, um, here's the thing, this subject, on the one hand, you could look at it as like a big issue, a major challenge, like we've got a huge problem. But of course, it's an opportunity. Um, all the things that you've both said around, you know, what are lessons that we're learning, how to refine the process, how to consolidate those five particular things you mentioned, Lucy, um, and, and actually bring this together. Yeah, I mean, this is just, this is what you do when you're building things. This is how it is. You you discover things. They're not always good things you discover, but, you know, that's that's where they are. Um, listen, I'm thinking of bringing in a few people to ask a question as well, because I think that's always a nice thing to try and do. Um, Sean is with us all the way from New York City in the US, so I'm going to see if I can get um, Sean to come on stage. Oh, good. There's, there's Sean joining us now. So, uh, yeah, you know, obviously there's a lot going on in America now with the Inflation Reduction Act. They're all busy um, bringing in a lot of new money, new focus to the whole electric vehicle revolution. Hi, Sean. Yes, good. We can hear you. Can't see you, but that's fine. Don't worry. But please, you know, make your point or ask your question um, to Lucy and Peter, and, and we'll see if we can help you. All right. Well, sorry, the camera doesn't come on. I did turn it on, but... Um, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. No, here... You might I, be in your pajamas, Sean. No, I'm not. <laughs> I've been on a couple, <laughs> of, couple of company calls already this morning, and I have another meeting to go to okay. shortly after this one. Um, okay. No, I, I work for a company, Rexel um, USA, here as a EV charger specialist here in the Northeast region of the U.S. And we have both uh, rural areas, i.e. much of New England is very rural. Um, and then obviously I'm here in New York City. We have other large cities in the, in the, in the Northeast region. And so the problem is, as um, was already mentioned, utility and municipality permitting each one here throughout the U.S. has their own set of standards. So here in New York City, in Con Edison, it's one set. When I go to uh, Bangor, Maine, it's something else. When I go to Burlington, Vermont, it's something else. When I go to Albany, New York, it's something yeah. else. Uh, so it makes things very, very difficult, um, you know, as to, as to Peter's point. Um, secondarily is, you know, so we have the urban areas, we have the rural areas. Uh, I saw somebody in the chat mention uh, battery storage. And when it comes yeah. to DC fast charging, not the level two, but the level three charging, we find that we have to put uh, battery integral systems in place in many of the locations. Uh, even here in New York City, when I worked for the city, putting in uh, level threes, we had to use battery integral systems because the grid just could not uh, support it. So it's a, it's a two-point problem, not that I have any solutions to it. I'm trying to find uh, solutions and and whatnot for my own customers so that's kind of why i joined yeah in. So, so no thank you sean no it's great to get a, a u.s perspective um so so lucy or peter can you you offer any thoughts or or do you you know any observations from from what what sean's saying it sounds very familiar actually it doesn't sound that different from the challenges we've got here what do you think lucy it does sound very familiar. I do, I do want to have a word of, of empathy for the DSO and, and their 
you know, great, great challenges. There are to do a lot, uh, you know, in the in the green transition in Europe. I'm sure in the US it's the same. We said this before, but they're, they're regulated entities. And what we're seeing, you know, we're also learning a lot from the work we're doing with them, right? What we're seeing is that they are operating under a legacy regulatory framework that is very much limiting them, you know, also limiting their investment in the grid, right? That's something to keep in mind. They're working also with those constraints and that's how we, yeah, we need to engage with them to make that framework evolve. And if I give you just one example, you know, in Bulgaria, you know, we have a DSO that is receiving a lot of new requests for connection for different kind of projects, renewables, right? So they have this massive amount of connection requests for renewables project, very good. They don't have enough staff to basically process those requests, right? So obvious answer is, why don't you recruit more staff to process those connection requests, right? But the issue is that, you know, in Bulgaria, the OPEX spending of the DSO is approved on a three-year basis. So they're stuck with that for three years, right? And they won't be able to hire more staff in the short term to be processing those requests. Those are some of the said, limitations that they're facing from the legacy regulatory framework. It may be different in the US, by the way. I'm just talking about Europe. And again, you know, those constraints that they're facing may change from one country to another. But for them, yeah, they're facing uh, challenges that have to do with the fact that the regulatory framework they operate under is just not really, you know, adapted to the <laughs> decarbonization objective that we have set for, for Europe. Yeah. Um, um, Sean, it's great that you've come on. I, I really do appreciate that. And one thing's for sure, listening to your um, situation and certainly listening to Lucy's response, um, there are, you know, real difficulties here, but the sooner we all share our experience with them, we find a way of, you know, um, speeding things up. That's the, the principle here, definitely for sure, speed and timing, um, the better. I'm going to go to another caller, Sean, because you mentioned about storage. So there's uh, Kate Armitage, who I do actually know from the UK, um, has raised a couple of points. So I'm going to bring her on because she's going to talk about energy storage and not total grid reliance, etc. So we'll come on to that. But Peter, anything there from that call from America that made you kind of think, you know, we're all in the same boat? Yeah, we are on the same boat. And if I can comment on the technical stuff, uh, indeed, we can do a lot of things with batteries, stationary batteries placed next to the charging point or charging hub. We can do a lot of with uh, clever, intelligent energy management without any doubts. And, and I think all the uh, sophisticated CPOs are, are doing so. Uh, we as well have uh, several locations where we deploy the stationary battery storages. But the point is that at a certain point, you need simply a more large grid, more cables on the ground. That's that you cannot avoid that. That's inevitable. And and I would like to voice as well, Lucy said, it's not about that we are now, you know, trying to blame someone or just sitting here and crying that the world is bad and we cannot move. We actually want the opposite. We want to engage all the relevant stakeholders into these discussions because we see it as absolutely critical. I think we need to involve politicians because building the grid sometimes it's complicated even for people. You know, you don't want to have you know, your streets destroyed for six months for a new grid, but sometimes it, it is important to, to do that. You know, sometimes you need to close the street and build the connections for some time. And it's to a certain extent political issue. Uh, that's one thing. Yeah. And we need to engage regulators yeah, so, no, to regulate to this. Companies, yeah. Sorry, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to cut you off there, but but I suppose it was when you mentioned politicians, it sort of made me all a bit nervous for a minute. Um, so so listen, there was a question. Kate, can you hear us? Oh, you're there. Good. Hi, Kate. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. And 
Great, a really interesting webinar. So, so thanks for for bringing me on. Um, yeah. So, my question uh, was, uh, what well, to Peter or or Lucy? Um, uh, at what point does the decision as to where you cite your uh, public charging network, and I'm thinking probably more about the transit charging high-powered network, um, at what point do you stop saying this is the best location in terms of the volume of traffic, and do you start saying this is the best location in terms of grid connection? Um, and have you walked, have you walked away from a, a site that was under construction because uh, the grid constraint and or the cost to connect to it was prohibitively high? Great question, Peter. Yeah, yeah, indeed we did. Uh, or maybe walk not walk away, but change the priorities in terms of all this pipeline and which locations we prioritize and which not. Uh, actually, what we typically do is in a certain point when you get a lot of information which you need for your decision, you run the IRR calculation for the location and trying to calculate how profitable the location probably will be. And if, for example, the grid connection is too expensive, then this number doesn't fit together simply. The connection point is so far away that you will need to spend so big amount of money for building the grid connection yourself or something like that, that then you need to walk away. So, yeah, it could happen, or usually this kind of location is postponed and waits for the better times. Yeah, I think ultimately the risk is that you're going to end up, uh, and I, this may be lost in translation a little bit, but the risk is that you end up with charging deserts. So you end up with large yeah. parts of Europe that are missing this high-powered charging network because it's prohibitively uh, expensive to build there. And this is a commercial decision, isn't it? Yeah, indeed, indeed absolutely. It depends on the, as well, on the stage. Yeah, yeah Lucy, on that point that Kate raises then, when you said earlier on about the multiple of you know, how many more charges we need from what we've got to today, surely we must have a sense of where they're going to be or where we'd like them to be. Um, but then when we discover the challenges, some of which Kate's alluded to, or you, you all have, um, you know, shouldn't we have the big picture, if you like, and then start having a plan that says, okay, we know exactly how many charges, well, within a few thousand, and this is the plan, this is the timeline, this is where we are, and then try and avoid these charging deserts and things like Kate's mentioned. You know, how do you see this rolling out then over the next, well, certainly over the next, you know, 13, well, no, less than that. What is it? 2035. How many is that? 11 years? 12 years? Yeah, not long. 12 years. No, so that's a great question. Just to one point, maybe to, to return to Kate's question and the notion of charging desert, you know, to charge, you need electricity, you need a plug, right? You can have that at home. That's what I've discussed, you know, before when I say, you know, a lot of the debate is focused on public charging, right? And that makes sense. That recaptures the imagination, even for EU decision makers. This is what they like to talk about, you know, public charging, right? There's a lot of, you know, charging that will happen, that happens today already. The vast majority of the charging is in a private environment and it's going to remain that way in the future. Okay, so just to have a more, you know, nuanced and complete picture, and I'm sure Peter can tell you about all of the rolling out that they're doing in the residential area, at the workplace, etc. Yeah, what else? You shouldn't just, don't forget that you can also recharge at work, you know, you recharge at home, etc. So it's more, you know, the notion of charging desert might be a little bit, yeah, tricky to, to manipulate. On the planning, however, I think that is an excellent point. Hmm? What you're saying is a little bit of a deficit of planning, not just from the sector, but on grids, 
right? Something we would very much like member states, DSOs, energy regulators to focus on, okay? It's part of the recommendation that we put out, okay? How do you plan, right? And there are tools, right, to help you with that. We have examples of best practices in France, in the Netherlands, for instance, where they have developed heat maps, okay? So that tells you where you have great capacity, where you don't have great capacity, where it makes sense right, to start deploying, right. okay? So as long as those best practices are generalized, basically can help everybody with the planning. We are seeing some resistance mm. from government on planning. You know, this, we have discussions, negotiations that are ongoing for a framework which is called AFIR. It's a framework that's going to regulate the deployment of charging stations in the public space. So those discussions are ongoing. They're reaching their end now. And it's a very basic governance framework. At the beginning of that framework, it says, here are the targets to deploy charging stations over the coming years. And at the end of that framework, it says, and you, national governments, you are in charge of developing national action plans to make sure those targets become a reality. Okay. And the way governments are approaching those plans is very much as a bureaucratic reporting exercise. And we're saying, no, this isn't, <laughs> then you're making it completely useless. You should be using those plans as a planning tool, right? That's how it's going to become useful for you. And then yeah. the pushback that you're getting from them is, well, you know, this is complicated and planning is difficult and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. So we can do some planning, but we need to do it, you know, hand in hand with the regulators, hand in hand with the government and the DSOs. Yeah. Lucy, some lovely things in there. Certainly a kind of template, if you like, a best practice, a process. That's definitely what we need. Um, Kate, thanks so much. Uh, there's loads more questions. So you're going to have to forgive me. I have to go jump onto some more. I'm sure, you, sure you've got some more, but. Yeah, thanks. Great to see you again. Th thank you very much. Um, so look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put a few questions on stage without inviting people on. I apologise for that, but it's just, it means we can get through them quicker. Um, Oliver says, how much of this issue can be solved through harmonisation of processes, regulatory changes, etc.? And how much of it is the need for cash and resource? Grid wasn't designed for this, so big engineering challenge. Peter, do, do you want to have an opinion on that for us, please? Yeah, indeed. I think that's both. That's the regulation. It starts with, as you said, you don't like the mentioning the politics, but it's necessary to involve them. <laughs> yeah. It's necessary to involve as well the regulators because all these DSOs are natural monopolies and they have regulator offices in every country which regulates how they behave. They regulate not only prices, but even, you know, how quickly they need to answer, for example, questions for a connection. So this things needs to be started in, in, in the regulator offices on every country. And absolutely obvious, we need to get DSO and at the end, their shareholders. Very often the shareholders could be a public, could be a city, could be the country or could be, but could be private shareholders. We need to get them on board and need to as well show them together that actually this is a good business to enlarge the network. And probably we'll need to combine some various mechanisms, something maybe we'll need to go from public funding, something will need to be in the, in the way how we set up the tariffs, which they can get from the other uh, people connected to the grid. But we need to get them on board and make this attractive business for them. Actually, mm. we even come to the fact that we, we in Europe thinking about the Green Deal, right? how to make the transition to the renewables, to the sustainable transportation. And sometimes in this process, we forget that everything is connected by a grid. And if this grid is not taken on board, if this is not enabler of this change, we will not move the needle. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I would say we need not only the Green Deal, we need a great deal in Europe. We need to weigh how to engage this and enlarge this for the benefit of us, for who is building the charging infrastructure, but for the benefit of people doing the heat pumps, people working the renewables, 
those who are building the wind farms and, and all these other things. Yeah. I, I, I tell you what, li- listening to you both, I can't help thinking that the EU could do a lot worse than just look at what the Inflation Reduction Act is in its structure, where it's putting these billions into different parts of the ecosystem, whether it's charge point operation, whether it's, D- you know, DNOs, whatever it is. And, and if you like, use that as a template for where we are in Europe. Cause I, I, I think I have a sense that we're in a better position in Europe, um, with the general performance of grids and the way energy and power moves around Europe than, than maybe they are in America. So, you know, when I saw a, a graph the other day, well, sort of a infographic that had where all the different billions are going, cause there's nearly 400 of them into the different players in the electric vehicle journey and renewable energy journey as well. So that was good. A um, couple of quick questions. Fabian, perhaps you can do this one, please, Lucy, from Fabian in Belgium. Aren't the regulatory authorities the main players when it comes to grid planning priorities? Do you have any ideas how to tackle that? Uh, I often hear Ofgem in the UK could be a positive example. Any thoughts for Fabian? Yeah, of course. Um, just one quick return to your, your previous question, Roger, on the, actually, the, what the previous question on, on funding. Um, yeah, I mean, as Chargeable, we often said is, you know, we're a rationally driven business. And if there is funding that is available, that should probably go to the grid upgrades, right? Which is where it can be most useful, not just for our sector, actually, but for all of the sectors that we have to electrify at record speed by the end of the decade. One thing to keep in mind is also how do you, Minimize the need for those investments. And we always say, okay, you know, our sector can be part of the solution. You know, we can help with demand side flexibility, et cetera. And so yeah, when you bring in EVs into the grid, that can actually help, you know, avoid having those massive amount of, of investment that come in. Um, returning also just to, you know, the regulatory constraint, you know, again, another way where DSOs aren't really help, you know, they receive a grid connection request. They can't pick and choose, right, among those grid connection requests. They have to treat them, you know, in order, right? So they can say, yes. oh, you know, this grid connection request look at, is really, really going to support our climate objective. I'm going to prioritize that. They can do that today, you know, under the framework they operate. So if they receive a connection request from a, a casino or a connection request from a project that's going to support, you know, um, decarbonization in Europe, they have to treat that in that order. Again, that's a legacy regulatory framework that has to be um, changed. And I completely forgot what was the question. The question for public authorities. Um, yeah, so the question yeah, for, yeah, yeah, on public authorities. Yeah, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put it back up on. Look, there it no, is. No, so that's okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, they have their own their own constraints. So we've looked into, I don't want to walk you through, you know, they are a very long set of, of <laughs> recommendations that sure. may be a little bit tedious for, uh, for your uh, auditors, but um, there are things that they can do, you know, that are pretty simple. Okay, they need to strengthen a little bit their administrative capacities is one, but really, you know, digitalizing processes that can really go a very long way in helping CPOs. You know, it's yeah. it's not, you know, groundbreaking, but it can help in just making those processes more predictable, more transparent, easier to navigate, less work intensive. And, you know, if you're a small CPO, then you can, you know, allocate your resources to much more productive tasks, such as, you know, as we've discussed before, finding new locations, for instance. Yeah, yeah. L- listen, there's so much to go in all of this, and, and I'm very conscious. I'm watching um, our timeline, so um, I'm going to come to a couple of 
concluding questions in a minute. But w- one more I want to put in, because I think this is really important from Germany, from uh, Mirjam Laubenbacher. Um, it's for you, Lucy, but Peter, feel free to answer it. Is accessibility and inclusion already a topic of standardization? It would be a, it would be terrible if in planning this new world of electric vehicles, this new dawn of clean technology and clean mobility, we didn't get it right from the start in terms of you know accessibility and, and, and inclusion. There are some good organizations around the world, there's a good one in the UK, that, that really put CPOs under pressure and score them. They they shop them, they mystery shop them, and they say this wasn't a good site or this was. What's your answer to Mirajam? Because I think this is a very important question. And well, I think the, the something which the responsible CPO should have an eye on. That's obviously something where you want to have your customers to be happy with your locations. Uh, we have to admit that there are sometimes it's not so easy to make it and, and it's complicated and, and it's, it's hard to negotiate with the landlord, have the, the bigger, for example, larger parking space and so on and so forth. Yeah. So there could be obstacles. And maybe in the early stage of the development of charging business, it was everything about speed, how to roll out as fast as possible because everybody needed. But yes, we are coming to the stage where uh, the, it's, it's much more for the masses. It's much more for the people, for common people. It's not only the early enthusiasts in electric vehicles. And therefore, we need to these, take these things uh, definitely seriously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, motability in the UK, for example, I think is one of the largest fleets in Europe. And that's all people that have some form of, you know, challenge when it comes to getting around in, 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 a, in, a, in a vehicle. Um, listen, we are racing through this so fast. I can't believe how quickly the time's gone. It's because it's such a complex area, but let's crack on. And L- Lucy, let me ask you this question because I've prepared a few and I just want to get to was sort of the last one I put in. If any policymaker is actually listening to this today, can you kind of tell them like almost in, in one sentence what they can do the most that would have the most impact to, to improve things? If that's not a sort of silly question in a way, because I know it's complex, but what's the one big thing you'd love a politician or, or you know, one of the policymakers to, to deliver? Um, I think the one thing I would tell them if that is for them to deliver, but the first thing would be, you know, don't be intimidated. You know, you said this is a very big challenge and it is a very big challenge, but if you look at the set of recommendations that we have developed we're looking at two things. We're looking at regulatory improvements and we're looking at process adjustments. Okay. I mean, we're right. not trying to we're not trying to crack nuclear fusion here, right? This is something we should be able to do, right? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah, it has to be done. But you know, the recommendation they're not there's nothing that is over you know over the moon. It, it can be done, right? So there's I think um uh, some hope to, to be had here. The other thing I would say is, you know, let us help you. Right. We have done our homework. We have developed our recommendations. This isn't the only set of recommendations that is available. We're working with DSOs. We have developed recommendations with them, too. So they don't need to figure it all out on their own. Right. The recommendations are out there. There's plenty of thinking that has gone into, you know, fixing this. And it's just a matter for them of tapping into that expertise. Great. And and can I ask then, in terms of the EU and organizations like ASEA, and these these other bodies, if you like, trade bodies and legislative bodies, are they getting to understand the detail of this complexity? Like like you say, it's not nuclear fusion, but it isn't simple. Uh, but but are the right people? Do they know what this challenge is? We're we're going to deliver it. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen. But do they do they really know how complex it is? Do you think, Lucy? So for 
for the trade association, there is a good understanding, you know, of, of those issues and especially, you know, the issues linked to the broader electrification agenda and what, what that's going to do, you know, for, for the grades in Europe, for decision makers. Um, yeah, in the EU, what we're trying to do again is to really elevate the profile of the topic, make them understand this is something they need to be focusing on. And we're also, you know, providing, doing our homework of, providing some of the solution and answers to those to those difficulties. But we're doing that in partnership with the DSOs. And then we need to bring in, you know, the um, national energy regulators that are a little bit absent from the discussion at the moment. Yeah. Good. Okay, good. Well, well again, P- Peter, I've got a final question for you then. Um, so to any fellow CPOs or, you know, people who are thinking of looking at being a charge point operator, um, what, what can you tell them? What's the most important thing, if you like, to take away from this conversation? Um, some of what you've said, you've heard Lucy say, some of our guests uh, have asked. What, what, what's the most important thing? Mm-hmm. I think the uh, obviously they can do a lot uh, in, on their side, in the business side, how to prepare for these obstacles. But if, if we talk how to change the things, I would suggest to raise the voice, maybe join us as well in the, in the association. Because I think we are in this stage, we are in a stage where we need to rise this topic, as Lucy said. So the awareness needs to increase. And we have ready solutions and uh, would be very happy if support us, any CPO, anybody who has a stake in it, basically, uh, maybe I'm not, not limiting to the CPOs, but I really think a lot of people and, and, and even has, has a stake to deliver the sustainable transportation. So let's let's push this for this topic. And uh, it's not a rocket science. We will deliver if everybody do the right things. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I had... A ton more questions. I've got to be honest. I got a bit carried away with uh, audience questions coming in because I do. I do like to involve people. That is what we promise we're, we're going to do. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I'm I, I'm very intrigued. But I'd recommend anybody goes and definitely looks at your your website and some of the reports that you you you've got on there, Lucy. Because one of the thoughts I had, um, and I don't want to make this sort of pointing the finger too much, but there is some negative. Um, uh, narrative now coming out against electric vehicles in some countries more than others. A lot of it is to do with charging and the ability to get an EV charged on a given journey. But if you look at that graph that you've got of where the, the ratio of charging is, the countries, I suppose it's obvious, but the countries where there's poor charging, um, you've got a lot of maybe even political momentum saying, oh, we're not sure we want this. You know, this needs to slow down. You know, don't do this. Um, and I mean, I, I shouldn't pick on one country, but, but Italy would be one of those for sure. There's, there's a lot going on in Italy at the moment. It seems to be, I've read in the press, um, about that. So I, I think this, all of what you're doing is so important because we've got to get people, um, it's a bit like, isn't it? It's a bit like how Europe works overall. You want to bring everyone up to the same level. Um, we can't have, Kate mentioned it, we can't have charging desert. So, Lucy, have a final word. Just just give us your last thoughts. Uh, no, maybe just to say, um, well, for Italy, there's a lot that is going on. Many of that is political. We don't necessarily comment on, you know, yeah, political considerations. You know, there could be some signaling to, to domestic audiences. One thing to flag is this is a sector that is changing a lot. You know, it's evolving very, yeah. very fast. It's professionalizing. 
you know, the figures that we shared for our state of the industry report in 2022, the 2023 version is going to be vastly different already. So, um, yeah, I'm not saying a whole judgment. Maybe that's not the right word of wisdom to say, but do take into account the fact that this sector is evolving very, very much. Yeah, and of course, what we haven't talked about are all the benefits, all the positive aspects. You know, the acceleration of clean vehicle technology to improve air quality in our towns and cities, massively important, hugely important. Um, obviously, the fundamental issue of reducing you know, CO2, but all of what where we can go with rebalancing the grid, using electric vehicle batteries in a very different way, you know, developing the bi-directional charging capability of EVs. There is so much that is a positive development. It's not just making people shift to electric vehicles because somebody's told them to. Uh, it is about improving things in, in many ways. So I think, you know, what you're doing is great. And Peter, you know, I don't need to talk to you too much about this. You've, you've been... You've been at it, as I said, for well over a decade. Um, we'd like to have the final word, yeah. Peter. Yeah, I think you you, you hit the point. Uh, actually, it may seem that we are now, as an industry, asking for something, you know, some favor. Let's bring us faster connections and so on and so forth. It's not so. We try to explain that. But what I want to mention as well, that the electric vehicles can be a huge benefit for the grid. It's probably the only way how we can integrate large-scale uh, renewables. So I think, really, it's an interest of everybody involved, even at the end of DSOs and, and all the grid energy companies, to integrate as many. Yeah electric vehicles as possible. So therefore, I think there is a mutual benefit in cooperation. We are the bridge between the huge number of batteries and energy grid. I mean, we as our CPOs, we are the connection point between these these two systems. Uh, and we want to work in a good mood with all the, all the part of the system to make it faster. So that's my hope. Yeah, great. Yes, well, look, hope is a good thing and finishing on a positive note is even better. So Lucy and Peter, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for our audience for joining us. Um, I think we almost got all the questions asked, so I'm very pleased about that. Um, and I wish you both well with your work, with everything you're doing. I'd like to talk about that in the future because I think uh, uh, you're, you're doing important things. So appreciate that. Uh, hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you all again soon. Um, and for anyone wondering, yes, you can see a recording of this. Um, um, and it will be a podcast. So if you're listening to the podcast and you weren't at the show, where were you? Thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye, Roger. Bye, Roger. Bye. 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 Bye.